0: While this podcast will cover information about how to access therapy and other mental health services, it is not intended to be a substitute for said services. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you feel you are in need of mental health assistance, please seek out licensed professional care in your area.
1: type of therapy podcast. All right. We are back uh for our Mental Health Quest. Um, I am Charlene McPherson, LCSWC, and my co-host.
0: I am Benjamin Tites, registered psychological associate, psychology doctoral candidate, and soon to be graduating this year. Fingers crossed. Pray to all the deities, please.
1: (laughs) Um, And we have our special guest here. Uh, Go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Isaac Tights. I am the uh, head clinical psychologist and president of All Mind Health and All Sleep Health. Uh, is a um, psychological services corporation serving patients in California in person or online, specializing in uh, kids of all ages from five to 75, and especially in sleep and dreaming, but I can't imagine why that would be important.
1: Yeah, because that's our episode.
0: (laughs) It's it's almost like we specifically asked you because of that specialty.
1: Yeah, it's... Almost. Yeah, almost like we're here because that's the topic of our episode, sleep and dreaming. Isn't that exciting? It's almost like we planned this.
2: It's a dream come
0: true. (laughs) 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 He's got all bunch of sleep puns. Yes, don't don't be sleeping on these puns.
1: (laughs) Alright, so Benj- I'm going to take a back seat. Benjamin's going to gonna take the driver's seat. I'm going to be the audience today, and I'm very excited to actually learn quite a bit about sleep and dreaming. So go ahead, Benjamin. It's all yours.
0: Alright, well, so first of all, uh, Dr. Tice, and also for our listeners who might remember Dr. Tice from our ADHD episode... Uh, he is my brother, so if I slip and just call him Isaac, that's because I'm just used to calling him by his name and not his title. So, Dr. Isaac, <laughs> can you please uh, give a uh, brief introduction to this your study of sleep and dreams and how it relates to therapy? Sure, soon to be, Dr. Ben. <laughs> so,
2: I got started studying sleep uh, actually the first time I really got into it was in AP psych class in high school. Uh, for those of you who have experienced that joy, um, I did. <laughs> we had some sort of projects, and um, actually, our, our dad had been interpreting uh, my dreams since I was little. So I thought, oh, yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of chat about it. Yeah, it was kind of a, a cultural thing, you know, his mother before him, then he did it for me. And so I thought, like, this would be interesting. So I had interviewed my brothers and some friends of mine about their dreams, trying to see if there was any patterns. And like, you know, did well enough on that. Didn't think too much of it. Fast mm-hmm. forward, I was in grad, in undergrad, and pre med, and I saw this movie, Waking Life, by Richard Linklater, which was this like fascinating rotoscoped film that every scene was a different, you know, setting and person and context. And they had a section in there about lucid dreaming the ability to mm. be aware of yourself while you're dreaming and maybe even controlling. And I was flabbergasted. I was surprised that this is a thing that people can do. Let me check on this. So I went to Google Scholar, not just straight up Google, because I wanted <laughs> to actually find some empirically validated studies. And I saw that some of the earliest uh, literature on it came out of Stanford University out of a dissertation by Stephen Leberge who uh, you know, still teaches a few uh, lucid dreaming courses in Hawaii if you ever get around there. So mm-hmm. I realized that this was a real thing. I needed to go and check it out. And I joined the uh, the sleep lab at Cornell and got to uh, put electrodes on people's scalps and uh, uh, watch their uh, EEGs while they were sleeping. And then I felt- asleep. exciting. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I got to sleep in the, uh, in the sleep lab as well as a participant and had some interesting sleep paralysis episodes there. We can talk about that later. And um, eventually did my honors thesis on lucid dreaming and depression, uh, conveniently around the time that Inception came out. So I used that in my poster <laughs> and got twice as many participants, but also extra credit in <laughs> class helps. And uh, then I published that uh, in a journal. Uh, presented it at the International Association for the Study of Dreams, which is a international conference uh, for researchers and clinicians, as well as uh, other uh, non academic or non psychological focused individuals who are fascinated with dreaming. And. I also took that to graduate school, uh, but instead of lucid dreaming, I shifted gears into uh, grief and bereavement dreams, where I did mm. my dissertation on the cultural differences on how we dream of the deceased. And throughout that, I shadowed at the uh, the Stanford uh, Sleep Clinic, conveniently coming back full circle. And I've been working with patients on helping their insomnia, as well as using their dreaming. Uh, to help their therapeutic outcomes.
0: That is a lot of dreams. Mm-hmm. And yeah. a, a lot of Zs. Yes. Uh, but I, I'm curious. So, you know, we, we we want to try to find out, you know, how can this, uh, in, in what ways is this used, these studies of dreams and sleep, how is that used in therapy? I know you did mention bereavement and depression. So is that, your primary area of using that in your therapy sessions, or can it also be used for other issues like anxiety and other stuff? Exactly.
2: Ben, you actually touched on the perfect starting point uh, that I use with uh, therapy. Depression and anxiety, we call the common psychological cold. Everyone's going to, you know, dip into that at some time in their life, whether it's formal uh, diagnosis or just general adjustment by one of the main symptoms that overlaps between depression and anxiety is sleep problems. If you're feeling worried about the future, you're probably gonna have a hard time getting to sleep or staying asleep. Or if you're depressed, you might also have a hard time with sleep, maybe even oversleeping or having insomnia as well. So I like to address that if it's a shared symptom as the first and foremost symptom with my patients after formal intake battery an hour or so if we get these main diagnoses I always want to finish off that first session with either getting them to just start recording uh, in the morning just when they went to bed when they you know think they went to sleep when they woke up how many times did they uh, wake up in the middle of the night and most times just by monitoring a symptom, monitoring some behavior, it can start to get better. Whether it's number of reps at the gym or pounds on the scale or calories you eat, if you're starting to track it, you can start to improve upon it. So I
1: love, I love it. It's so good. Uh-huh. This cognitive behavioral stuff is just like as soon as you start paying attention to it, it starts going down. But then it kind of evens out.
2: <laughs> yep. So this is CBTI or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. So uh, if I can get them in, uh, to start to work on their sleep, just to record it, or once they bring that in every week, we check in on their sleep scores and see where is the issues. So we can tweak on the, on the uh, front end on getting them to wind down ready for bed or getting them a technique to get back to bed or to get out of bed as soon as they wake up as well as maintaining their healthy behaviors throughout the day, their sleep gets better, their brain gets to reset, to recharge, to recover, and then they have a little bit more energy to handle their stress or their depression or anything else that comes their way in the following days. So that automatically is kind of a first line of attack. But beyond that, uh, most folks who are going to have let's say any anxiety disorder, OCD, PTSD, you name it, if they're getting better sleep, they're probably gonna have better resources to handle that. So it makes it a little bit easier to apply the techniques from there. A well-rested person can do an exposure and response prevention strategy for OCD. Or if they're a little bit better rested, then they're better able to handle any flashbacks that they might have from PTSD or even to practice some of their safety meditations to feel secure where they are. They kind of have a little more energy. They're less frazzled.
1: I, I call that emotional currency. They have some emotional currency to spend towards it. Uh, if you're in the negative, you got you to gotta replenish, right? Um, so if you don't have that, but uh, anything to spend, then you can't, do anything about it yeah so. we don't
0: got emotional credit cards <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to rack yeah but you can go
1: into debt you can go into debt pretty hard <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: which people do i mean that's the whole point about the emotional currency people are spending emotional currency that they don't have so they're going into emotional mm-hmm. debt mm-hmm. um and so i guess that is a big reason why being able to get healthy amounts of sleep and consistent sleep mm-hmm. is going to be really helpful because People I, I've heard it a lot from clients that oh well you know I'll take a nap during the day um, you know or like I'll you know if I didn't sleep a lot this week then like over the weekend I sleep in to kind of catch up. Is it possible to catch up on sleep? Our listeners can't see you shaking your head.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say like our listeners can't see the visual of Dr. Isaac going. Ah. <laughs> No, don't do it.
2: (laughs) So, yes, exactly. I was just trying to silently suffer while you were speaking without (laughs) interrupting. (laughs) So you're absolutely right. Um, Catching up on sleep is a tricky kind of a myth. Um, Sleep debt is a illusion. We don't actually have um, this kind of a mini battery um, in, in our system that just only fills up a certain amount. And if you are in the negative, then you can just fill it up a little bit more. Our body likes consistency. Our body likes a rhythm and a routine. And so, if you're going to bed um, at odd hours of the night, you're kind of you know staying up till late, either you know catching up on work. Or, you know, trying to get yourself some you time because you've been working all day or striving or struggling all day. A lot of people will sacrifice some sleep (laughs) just to get a little bit. One more episode. I need some me time. (laughs) It's important, but you got to carve that out during your waking times and you got to protect your actual sleep times because it's going to make it easier to get your work done so you can have your you time. It's a weird system. But nonetheless, that consistency of sleep, same time to bed, same time to rise, makes someone healthy, wealthy, and wise. I'm stealing that from another smart Benjamin, Franklin. So. If you're able to get that consistent sleep, actually, I do tell my patients, that lets your body know when it can fall asleep, when it can expect to go and wake up, and it fills that natural battery, so the, the metaphor works here, with restful sleep. It expects it and can follow through. However, if you're all over the place, you know, you're going to bed at different times, you're waking up at different times, or even if you're trying to do on the weekend, you're trying to stay up a little bit later to have some fun and wait, sleep in a little bit longer than an hour or so. It's almost as if you're crossing over different time zones and then Monday comes along and you have to get to bed on time, but you're not used to it. And you have to wake up early, but you're not used to it. You're on Hawaii time, but you're trying to work as if you're in New York and You've got jet lag and you can't function and that can already mess up your, the rest of your sleep after that. That's why Garfield hates Monday. What could be worse
0: than Monday? <laughs> so uh, I'm curious then um, what techniques, behavioral techniques, because we were talking about the cognitive behavioral and we know that Charlene loves cognitive behavioral techniques.
2: hmm
1: I wanted to know, and this is maybe diving a little, a little deeper, but extinction bursts during the process. And I know, right? <laughs> I didn't know if CBTI, uh, whether you find that that happens. And, I, and this is something I explain to my clients anytime they're trying to change a behavior. Is just like at some point you'll be good you'll you know if you're trying to stop smoking like you're good you're good you're good you're good and then you'll have a moment where you have that increase in want and need and you know things like that and i always tell people that's coming so be prepared but that means that the behavior is about to go away so don't give up when that comes by does that happen with the the sleep cbt as well
2: it can, I don't look at it like extinction bursts where i explain it to my patients that, you know, you've developed this habit, you've uh, cultivated this, uh, these neurons in your brain of doing this or that behavior. Uh, you've, and you've fine tuned it, you've honed it, you become a black belt and kicking your own butt, uh, more for negative thoughts or maladaptive behaviors. However, by practicing the new behaviors, you're literally cultivating and growing and fusing more neurons and getting them stronger. But the old ones are still there. They might get weaker, but they're still there. And after a while, the brain's going to ask itself, hey, do you still want that? Do you still want that negative behavior you used to do? We still have it in the fridge. Do you, are you going to eat it? So... It will check. It will check. It will test you in another scenario. It'll randomly fire. And I tell my patients to think of this as like a mini boss at the tail end of a game. This was a boss you had at the beginning of the game. It was bugging you a bunch. You figured out how to beat it. You moved past it. Now you're at the final boss rush. A bunch of of the old bosses again. Here's your chance. Can you beat it again? So that's how I try to explain it. Uh, with regards to extinction bursts, but for sleep, I more often explain that we're going to have off nights. Expect to have an off night. Just randomly, we're going to have you know a night where you you can't fall asleep. It's just not going to happen for you, and that's your test. That's your challenge. All right, time to use all your techniques. Show yourself you know what to do, and as part of the cognitive portion of cognitive behavioral therapy, even if you're doing your wind downs, even if you're trying to bore yourself outside of the bed and getting yourself ready to get back to bed, but your brain's just not on on par, instead of stressing out about it and worrying and thinking to yourself, but I have to get to sleep and I'm not gonna get a good night's sleep and then I'm not gonna do well at work and then I'm gonna fail and I'm gonna get fired and I'm gonna live in a divan down by the river. Ah! But that will increase your cortisol, that will stress you out and keep you awake. So instead, You can remind yourself, okay, I guess I get to read all of my book tonight. I guess I get to meditate. I'm just, I'm gonna have just a chill day tomorrow and be a little bit low key. And know that you'll be fine. You've survived those days before and in fact, you might actually have an easier time going about it because you've expected to have a chill day. So you might reconfigure your schedule. You might tell, you know, your partner, your your coworkers, "Hey, listen, like I had a rough night. I wasn't able to get some sleep. Um, you know, <laughs> please bear with me." And surprise, surprise, people understand what it's like to not have a night of sleep. Normal human experience sometimes, and we can
0: survive it, and maybe even do well. It kind of reminds me, you know, the, this extinction burst uh, and the off night of sleep. It, it's very similar to, you know, when people are recovering from addiction, mm-hmm. the lapse versus the relapse. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will mistake that one lapse as, oh shoot, okay, well I failed, and mm-hmm. so I might as well just go all the way in, right? Mm-hmm. But as, as I tell my clients, a lot of the times, you know, no, that's it's just a slip-up. Like, you, you stumbled. You stumbled, you fell, but that's okay because you can. a slip-up is a setup for future success. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, fine, okay, we have an off night. Like, how am I going to handle that? How am I going to still take care of myself even when I didn't succeed at what I want to do in that moment? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I think that leads back to those behaviors of how do we set ourselves up for consistent, healthy sleep? Mm-hmm. Good question. So
2: uh, I'll say this real quick on, on what you were referring to for for those uh, substance uh, models. Definitely being able to have a little bit of grace with yourself. And uh, whether it's sleep or substance or any other behavior you were trying to kick, if you catch yourself doing it right then and there, that was a slip. If you caught yourself, <laughs> oh, I do that all just the time. <laughs> like even a grown person can slip on flat ground and you catch yourself, cool. Uh-huh. And if nobody saw, all right, I can keep on rocking it. And if somebody saw and you keep on walking, cool, no big deal. And even if you have like an off night, all right, like that was a, that was a lapse in your sleep. But OK, like that sucked, but you could handle it and you get back on the horse. And even if that turns into an off night of sleep and then the next night is, is rough and then you over undersleep and you try to overtake a nap or you try to oversleep the night and then you get into, um, unfortunately, an insomnia episode again then you can come to a CBTI specialist or a therapist that knows how to work with that modality. And so they would work with you on finding and resetting your behavioral sleep uh, hygiene. So one of the main things that I'll tell folks is, first off, we need to find out when are you aiming to wake up in the morning, to consistently wake up in the morning. So for all of your listeners, you can actually get out a piece of paper or your phone and jot down When is your intended wake-up time? When do you have to absolutely wake up um, to get to school, to get to work, to, you know, get your family members to those things and jot those down? And once you know when you definitely have to wake up in order to get yourself ready on time, now we're going to work backwards from that. So you know yourself best approximately how many hours you think you really need to get a good sleep. And so just calculate backwards from there. All right, so that's when you aim to fall asleep. But it takes a little while to fall asleep, about like 30-ish minutes or so for a normal human being. So that should be your bedtime. That's around when you aim to get yourself into bed. Okay, cool. But what you gonna do before then? How you gonna wind down? So the crazy (laughs) thing about sleep is that you can't just will it except for our dad. Whenever we're on a plane, he can just out, but he's an expert in that. So he is the master and we'll eventually get to that point later down the line. So for all of us, regular humans, uh, 30 minutes before you're aiming to go to bed at the latest, sorry, at the earliest, uh, the least, 30 minutes before you're aiming to go to bed, I so- always suggest we find a screen-free wind down, mainly because screens, you know, screen lights shooting into your eyeballs, our brain doesn't know that that's not daylight. Even if you have a blue light filter, even if you're using a variety of apps for your computer, it's still photons booping into your eyeballs and releasing those cortisol, that stress hormone that's the opposite of uh, melatonin, which your brain naturally produces. So if you can turn off those screens, close your computer, turn off your phone, then you're setting the stage for sleep. It's a natural process. So the dimness, the darkness, we're not really canaries, but you, you know, get us in a dark enough room, like a theater and we'll fall asleep. So all things considered, I try to brainstorm what's a chill, relaxing, and distracting, entertaining thing to do as you're winding down for bed. Some people obviously will take a shower before bed, will brush their teeth, will put on their PJs. Nice. And you can play some pleasant music or whatever in the background. Keep yourself distracted. Good. You can read a book. That's secondary light, light bouncing off of the book and into your eyes. It's not direct light. Your brain can handle that. We've been with physical books for a little bit longer than we've been with screens, uh, evolutionarily speaking. But a lot of folks are really getting into audiobooks and podcasts and music so they can set their phone. The last thing before they put their phone down, they'll put on a podcast, they'll put on an audiobook. I'm personally listening to uh, the, the third book in the Dune series and so, even though I'm hearing about all of this political intrigue and mind reading and lasers and, and you know, blades of, of sandworm teeth jutting into people's faces, I'm just cuddling up in my bed going, ah.
1: Yeah. That's what I actually listen to the same podcast over and over and over again. Like, because it's a DD real play podcast. So, and they've been going for yeah, this nine, ten years. Are
2: you listening to Critical Role? No,
1: not Critical Role, but it actually came way before Critical Role. Um, They're called Greetings Adventures now, um, and it's a real play podcast. They started in fourth edition. Um, But because I know the story so well, um, it's still distracting. It's still interesting because I'm listening to what they're doing, and I know exactly what joke is coming up and everything like that, so I won't necessarily laugh. It's just more of a familiar thing to hear to distract me. And I'll set that, that uh, timer for 15 minutes to shut it off. And I'm done, uh, less than 15 minutes, I'm done.
2: <laughs> I'm yep. out. You always gotta rewind and rewind and rewind. Yep.
1: <laughs> just over and over and over again. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. In fact, you're touching on an important point that familiar things can be really easy and boring to fall asleep to or to uh, rewind yourself back to sleep. So if anyone is having trouble waking up in the middle of the night and having a hard time getting back into bed, this is where you can use those familiar things or boring things. First of all, to get out of the bed after like 20, 30 minutes tops. So the bed is just for sleep or sickness or sex, not for stressing and staring at the ceiling. So you hop out of bed. a lot of S's. (laughs) I like alliteration. A lot of alliteration. So... If you can get out of bed and go to a comfy nest area, could be a lazy boy, could be a beanbag chair, could be a stuffed Snorlax, whatever. And you just let yourself once again reset the same way, screen free, of course, either listening to or rereading something familiar or boring. In the middle of the night, we don't want anything too terribly exciting. So, an old textbook from a class that you fell asleep in anyways, you're going to fall back asleep in there. Your brain is going to want to just cut out.
0: No, I don't want
2: to listen. Oh, shut up. I'm done. I'm done. I give up. And then once you get your head bobbing and your eyes fluttering and you're rereading the same things or you're feeling yourself micro sleeping, just lightly, easily walk yourself back to bed and let sleep take over from there. So, What you do to get back to bed, you can do to wind down for bed. And now you have yourself a new sleep schedule. However, it helps to have a professional to check in with you and help you course correct along the way in case something's missing or something's off. So that's my suggestion for folks to get back into a consistent set of sleep and not expect it to work the next night. It's gonna take a little bit, a week or two or three.
1: Now I have a question. So a lot of people always talk about people who don't get enough sleep. But the people, I am a person that gets too much sleep, and ends up, um, you know, it ends up being this very same issue, you know, all of the same symptoms and things like that. Um, but if I get too much sleep, that's my problem. So, what would your your suggestion be for people who get too much sleep?
2: Or yeah, hypersomnia. Hypersomnia is another symptom of depression and a few of the other kind of um, neurodivergent folks, audience members may notice that uh, this happens to them sometimes too, that they may need more hours of sleep to be functional. Well, if you need those hours of sleep, if you genuinely are not rested unless you've had uh, eight, nine, 10, sometimes even 11 hours of sleep until you can feel you can actually function, okay, maybe that's your um, pronotype the type of hours you need for those of us who oversleep and then somehow you wake up and you're like, I slept so much. How am I still tired? So your body only needs a certain amount of sleep and it it changes as we age, gets less and less as we get older. So what you needed when you were a high schooler, you may not need nowadays. You may need less. You might be just fine with, you know, seven, six, or even five hours of sleep. So finding that amount, you can kind of experiment with a therapist can be helpful too. But if this is a problem for you, that stimulus control that I was talking about earlier, getting yourself out of bed on time can be really helpful. It's one thing to get yourself out of bed when you can't go to sleep. You're already awake. You can decide to get out of bed and realize you've rolled over once, twice, three times, you're out. I call that the three strikes rule. But if you're asleep, It's kind of hard to remember to do that unless, of course, you've got alarms. And there's a few different alarms that you can use, some of which are kind of, if they're lying on your pillow or whatever, they can even listen in to whether you're at a lighter sleep stage and then play an alarm at that time so it can kind of catch you on your way out. And once you do have that alarm, the trick will be to make sure you've got something ready to do something exciting and engaging and distracting right in the morning that you would more much rather do than stay in bed so here's where screens can come in (laughs) so i'll have people straight up just wake up hop online and crush somebody in their favorite video game first thing in the morning that's your homework kiddo (laughs) and they're like are you serious And I'll like get the mom's buy in and they'll be like, Yeah, you can like splatoon all the other squids and kids you want, you know, first thing in the morning to get yourself out of bed. They're like, Okay. And if the video game set is downstairs, it's outside of their bedroom, they're already out of the room, they're already out of the bed, they're already up, they're ready to go, and they're happy. So that makes a whole much better start to the day. Other folks might really like a hot cup of coffee in their breakfast nook where the sunlight's smacking on their face and releasing vitamin D in your skin, which wakes you up, which stops the melatonin production. And once again, gets that cortisol going. And also if you're drinking, you know, something, you're eating something, you're getting your digestive tract going, mm, it's not the best idea to hop back into bed when your digestive tract is going. So you get going and that helps too.
1: And, the, and is that uh, exercise people, people who exercise in the morning, is that something like that, you know, if you enjoy doing that?
2: If you enjoy it, sure. I definitely recommend it. I get myself to exercise in the morning, but I don't enjoy it until like, you know, 10 minutes in when I get like the rhythm going. But I put on my favorite video game soundtracks and it makes it more tolerable. So that's more of a hygiene thing. My first thing in the morning that I do is I'll write down whatever dream I was remembering there, and then I'll meditate a little bit, and then I'll do a little brain game that's a little bit more fun and engaging. And then I put on my, my jock
0: jams. <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble! And uh, get my exercise going. I'm glad that you brought up remembering the dreams and anything, because I wanted to kind of shift into the more dreaming side and not the behavioral sleep side. Uh, because you mentioned lucid dreaming is mm-hmm. how you got started on this. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, especially with regards to a lot of people, you know, might struggle with nightmares, especially mm-hmm. if they have PTSD or yep. other trauma mm-hmm. issues. Uh, how do we handle that? So
2: if anybody is having a reoccurring nightmares, the same nightmare or, or thematically similar nightmares, um, either again, and again, and again, either the same night, multiple nights in a row, or just frequently, uh, I definitely recommend finding a, a therapist with some sleep training and ask them if they do something called Imagery Rehearsal Therapy, or IRT. This is a really fascinating therapy that uses our abilities to rehearse something to get used to it. Just like with studies have shown that people just imagining shooting free throws, having a similar boost in their performance as people who are physically practicing it. You're literally exercising the same neurons in your brain as you imagine yourself, you know, uh, sinking those balls. So if you're able to check in with this therapist and they may have you write down that nightmare initially, write it down from as much in the beginning as you remember, as many details as you can recall, all the way down to the very end, as far into the end of it as you can remember, on one sheet of paper. And then on another sheet of paper, you rewrite it, you re-script it. And you start at the very beginning, because that's what those same neurons are gonna be firing. It's gonna start the same way, it always starts the same way. And, you change a point before it gets to be too spooky, too scary, two skeletons. So you instead turn it to the positive or at least to a neutral side. So for example, and the therapist should never tell you what you should make your dream. It's got to come from your mind because that's probably going to be the best one for you. So if you, you know, had a dream you're going down your same old high school, you turn left and there's a test that you had to do and I don't know, so instead, you may rescript it, you go down the same high school, it starts the same, but then you turn right, and then it's a pizza party, yay! So it makes it a, a little bit more pleasant for you. So you rewrite it that way, and then you destroy the original nightmare. You tear up that old piece of paper, you flush it down the toilet, put it in a safe uh, location, and, and lock it up forever, whatever you wanna do, within reason, and, you know, safety. Um, And then you rehearse the new dream from the beginning and you imagine yourself literally physically going through it as if you were imagining yourself going down that hallway and you can feel the steps and you can see the lockers and you see that poster and you you see the door to the left, but you choose the one to the right and you see your hand opening the handle. And you smell the wafting of pizza and all of your best friends are there and they've got all your favorite toppings, whether you are for or against pineapple. So, (laughs) and you rehearse it again and again and again, like you're preparing for a play. And you do it multiple times during the day and especially whenever you get reminded of that old nightmare and definitely before bed. And as you're rehearsing them, you are literally growing those neurons just like we were talking about that behavioral approach and you are weakening those old nightmare neurons really, so that they are not as strong. And eventually the dream will start again. It'll go down that path, but you will just turn right and have your pizza party or whatever it is you choose to do.
1: I have a question. I have a question. (laughs) If you can't tell, Uh (laughs) it's like looking at me. I I can tell you have a question. (laughs) Um, So, Uh, When I was a kid, I had a problem with the dreams like this, and my mom gave me a dream catcher. Ooh. As soon as I got the dream catcher, we made it, and we, like, told the story about how it catches the bad dreams, but the good dreams go through, Never had that repeating dream again. Was that like lucid dreaming? Was that like me controlling it? What was going on, Dr. Isaac? I need to know.
2: Sure, let me just clarify. You got this dream catcher in waking life or in the dream itself?
1: In waking life. We made it in waking life. Cool.
2: So what you were doing there is you were setting an intention which is an amazing approach that we can use for dream recall and eventually lucid dreaming. So you're setting intention that you will have good dreams and not bad dreams. And you were physically engaging in a behavior, a ritual that was tied to this expectation. And there's a lot of benefits uh, in cultural studies for rituals and psychology. What, you know, Western society, we have this ritual of going to the therapist and talking about what's going on and getting it out of your system and having them help you out and maybe giving you some techniques. And it works really well for many humans and especially those in Western societies. But in other cultures, That may not always be the best thing or might not be the first thing that they need to do or that they benefit from doing. So having some sort of a ritual that you have a lot of, you know, engagement in, that you have a lot of belief in, and you expect to move forward, just like people come to therapy and, all right, I want to get better. That goes to the same joke of how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? One, but the light bulb has to really want to change. (laughs) So (laughs) because you really engage in this activity with your mom at your bedside and you were talking about this and you were preparing for your nightmares to be done with and to expect to move forward, your brain follows through. Now, if you had the same nightmare in that or beginning of that nightmare that night afterwards and you became aware of it. And you said, wait a minute, this is that nightmare again. I don't have to believe in you. Uh, (laughs) And then you turn it around. That would have been a lucid dream. You were aware of yourself while dreaming. And you can do that by setting an intention. But it helps to actually remember your dreams first. So... First, you get your dream diary. You write down whatever you can remember. You even set an intention to remember your dreams every night. And then you write down whatever you can remember in the morning. You set the expectation. And then after maybe two weeks or so, you're probably going to be remembering five dreams a night. And then you can start to test for what state of consciousness you're in. Are you in the waking state or are you in the dreaming state? So there's a few things that we do in the waking world that do not happen in the dreaming world that are consistent. So for example, uh, small text and time. Stephen LaBerge, who I was telling you about earlier, he was able to validate lucid dreaming using these checks. He referred to them as reality checks, though that uh, had caused a rift in the field that, oh, is this saying that dreams aren't reality? But at the last IASD conference, I got to ask him about it and he pointed out, yeah, no, are you in the dreaming side of reality? or in the waking side of reality? It's like, of course, Stephen, of course, that makes perfect sense. Well done. So you can check your clocks and because they're running on electricity and mechanical, you know, gears and wires, they don't depend on your imagination to work. So right now I'm looking at the clock. I see what time it is. I can look away and look at you all and then look back and yeah, okay. We're within the same time frame or text same thing it's ink on paper or electronics you know uh pixels on a screen so i can you know look at text and look away and look back and it's pretty much the same however uh in a dream that depends on what the heck i'm thinking about what i'm imagining uh old uh, long time watchers of batman the animated series might remember an episode where batman finds himself in a you know you know in a library and he opens up a book and he looks at the book, but the text is strange, it's modulated, It, it fades away, it changes languages. And through this, he realizes he is dreaming and he is able to break out of it. So if you can catch yourself in a situation, basically the state check you might, as you've been writing your dream diary, you might recognize you have a few of your own dream signs. Your best friend from high school always ends up in your dreams. So if you ever think of them or see them, that's a sign that either you're dreaming or time to check. Or if you happen to see a big red dog, all right, well, either you've been watching the Clifford movie or you're probably dreaming. So whenever these concepts arise, all right, time to do a state check. And so you check your watch, you look away, you look back. Okay, same time. But if this were a dream, when you'd look back... The hands of the clock might be spinning, there might be multiple hands or the digital, you know, numbers might be different. It'd be 9.99 o'clock and that's not a thing that happens. And now you may know you're dreaming. There's other te- there's other tests like turning on and off light switches. The brain cannot repaint the whole room. So it might turn some on and turn some off or it won't work. But if you don't turn on the lights, that might just be an electrical, you know, wiring, don't go flying out your window, please. Uh, so one that you may have on you at all times are your hands, hopefully, uh, or at least, you know, some digits and in waking life, you know, you have your usual number of hands that you're used to and they can only do so much and they can only stretch so far. But in a dream, if you're noticing that your hands are pixelated or blurry, you have extra, fig- you know, you know, digits, you can test by pulling on an on a finger, and it will stretch like rubber. Or you can kind of poke a, a finger through, uh, you know, your palm, and it will stretch all its way through. And now you know you're dreaming. So that one's a little bit more handy.
0: So uh,
1: <laughs> <you managed> <laughs> Hold on, I have to appreciate that pun first <laughs> before we move on. Okay, now you can move on. <laughs> you
0: know, um, I want to kind of, because as our listeners know, Charlene and I like all things geeky and pop culture and whatnot, so I have to ask the question, because mm-hmm. you did mention Inception at the beginning of this episode, mm-hmm. how realistic to the study of dreams and whatnot is Inception? Sure. So I actually found out about inception
2: uh, while I was doing my honors well I was preparing my honors thesis. I was looking for you know uh, concepts to, to study or how I wanted to go about it. And um, I saw some of the professors uh, that I was working with that I was talking to uh, with the International Association for the Study of Dreams and they were being interviewed talking about uh, what is dreaming, what is lucid dreaming. And I was like, "Oh, it's cool to see, you know, Steve, you know, Stephen here. It's cool to see, you know, my, you know, my old buddies." And uh, then this other person appeared on the screen and they didn't have their name on, but they looked very professional they were saying, yes, we're doing some studies uh, about soldiers entering each other's dreams and we're having a lot of success. And I was freaking out. I was like, what is this? Oh my God. And I looked through the comments and like the first three comments were just like, don't get excited. This is viral marketing for inception. This is, you know, the last person is not a qualified psychologist. That's why they didn't show their name and credentials. Like, ah, oh, man, still cool though. So, um they uh with Inception itself, the ability to lucid dream is true. It's a thing you can do. Um though totems as they use them in the in the movie, um not really a thing. Um that's not at the state checks that we were talking about, because you know, um yeah, top might, you know, fall over in waking life, uh, and it might spin you know forever in a dream. But it might fall over in a dream. That's not um, a imperative. That's not a reliable state test. So don't worry too much about that. You, you are your own totem. Your hands are your own totem, or your your watch or the light switches can be your totem. But don't expect these you know uniquely personal little trinkets to somehow be the magical thing that helps you, you know, become lucid in a dream. In addition. Um, the concept of nested dreaming uh, or false awakenings, as they were called, which we're trying to move away from but uh, to wake up into another dream, yeah, that's a thing that have Everyone's experienced or many people have experienced this. It's annoying sometimes if you gotta get to work or do something or you're just trying to figure out, am I finally awake now? But a state check could help you if you have that problem happening to you as well. But To have layers of dreams underneath them uh, where time moves uh, sequentially, mm, that you can somehow wake back up out of, maybe a little bit trickier. People can have dream scenes that they can revisit. That's true. And time itself uh, does work a little bit differently in dreams, as in the sense that um, our ability to measure time is a little bit off. In dreams were not that off there were some lucid dreamers that would count off with their eyes would kind of rotate their eyes left or right at what they believed was you know one second intervals and it was kind of close-ish but still a little off fine but not to the degree that inception has um, going uh, using dreams as a literary device is a very common tool that our ancestors have used for eons and eons and it's very useful because it is fantastical. It is a fantasy. In fact, that's where the word fantasy comes from, a dream. So that's why I love dreams and fantasy and sci-fi and all that good stuff, too.
0: Well, I really appreciate you explaining all of these dreamy concepts to us. Um, that didn't sound as punny as I wanted it to sound, but you know, I'm not the, the pun master here. Uh, Soon you will learn. <laughs> uh, I think that comes only after I get the doctorate, right? <laughs> no. Um, but anyways, uh, thank you so much, Dr. Tetz, for this amazing episode about sleep therapy, dreaming, lucid dreaming, and imagery rehearsal therapy, CBTI, all the good stuff. Um, where can people find you? Anyone can find me online at
2: allmindhealth.com. That's A L L M I N D H E A L T H dot com. In addition, all of the socials on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, uh, All Mind Health or All Mind Health One. I don't know who got All Mind Health before me uh, <laughs> for one of those. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you'll also see me presenting with Ben at the TAGS conference uh, coming up. That's the Therapy and Geek uh, Gaming Summit. Yeah. Uh, we'll be presenting on, what's our presentation, Ben?
0: We will be presenting on Super Helpers, uh, Healthcare Professionals Representations in dream, in not dreams, uh, <laughs> know, in, in Geek Media. That's uh, not a Freudian slip,
2: I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: And also for our listeners who listened to our special um, episode where we played a recording of my panel on Potatoes and Power at LA Comic Con, Isaac was in that, uh, we do often present together on panels at various comic cons, which you can
2: see on our YouTube channel, uh, All Mind Health. Uh, we have presentations from LA Comic Con on uh, not only Multiverse of Madness, but also Potatoes and Power, uh, Star Wars Mindfulness in the Force, and thematically enough, The Sandman. So. Go ahead and check those out. Yes,
0: please do. Um, And we also uh, were presented uh, at WonderCon recently, last month. Um, So that video will soon be up as well.
2: And uh, beyond that, if any of the things that we've talked about today seem that it may be helpful for you, uh, in addition to checking in with your own therapist, uh, especially if you're outside of California, because I'm not licensed outside of California, <laughs> but for anyone who is inside of California who you know would benefit from or who would like any of uh, these services, you can request services through that
0: allmindhealth.com. So I think that's a, a good place for us to end the episode. Thank you all of our listeners for joining us on this uh, Dreamscape episode um please rate and review us on all the podcasting places that you listen to us share with your friends Uh, we want to get the word out about the therapy quest mental health quest not therapy quest that's a very good thing (laughs) Um, so please yeah rate review and you can find us on facebook and twitter at mhq podcast
1: yep that's where you can find us thanks everybody uh, and you can find me at Nat Twenty Therapy. Where can they find you, Benjamin?
0: Just at the MHQ podcast. I do have this other podcast, My Hair Therapy, but it is on the. It's still kind of in cryo sleep right now. <laughs> so when it, when it gets revived, when it wakes up, I will s- s- advertise it more.
1: <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for coming, and we'll see you next time. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye.